Hello and welcome to From the Rooker Inn. My name's John. Uh, with me is Michael. I don't know what to say. Okay, and Jason. Hello there. Uh, and Michael might be a bit speechless because Watford have just lost at home. 3-0 to Burnley. It was always going to be a tough game. And we could really focus I think, on the second half. But we're going to talk about the first half first because, you know, it's chronological and everything. It, you know, that first 45 minutes wasn't terrible. Watford were by far the best team, the most positive team, and the one that was you know going to go and score a goal I was quite serene in that first half because I, I, I'm, I've got to get this out of the way I won't, I won't sleep if I don't get it out of the way and we Watford have been this team before and we've had to do what we've had to do to get results before I think Burnley and Sean Dyche's approach to football is staggering absolutely staggering it's, there's a, like an, an, a willful technique to play as little football as possible I don't mean play football in the sort of how Tottenham think they play football you know in a nice flowing expansive way I mean literally to play football getting the ball out of play keeping it out of play not restarting is absolutely incredible fine if that's what they want to do then (laughs) go for it but also just the sort of just underhand sort of nastiness, the sort of the, the diving, the falling all over the place. And obviously it's like um, it's the Sean Dyche outwardly goes around saying how much he hates diving when he has a team of players who, who have absolutely, absolutely mastered it. You know, and I think you need to contrast Andre Gray's booking for a stray sort of yeah. accidental elbow on Tarkovsky. Craig Dawson gets absolutely battered by Tarkovsky and Chris Wood. Two elbows to the face with force. Uh, there's no histrionics um, and obviously has to come off. He's, he's basically been, been beaten up. And yeah, I think you just have to compare and contrast the two reactions. And, you know, there is a debate about if that's the way you're going to play football, is there any enjoyment to, to be getting gotten out of it? But of course, Burnley going back up the, the road with the three points. They've won 3-0 away from home. They're singing anti-football. Um, ironically, they're having a laugh at everyone. But I do have to say it is... Dismal, absolutely dismal. It wrings every element of joy out of the out of the game, and really, really dreadful. Yeah. Really dreadful. That said, that said, you have to deal with that. And like you said, Watford were by far and away the the better team in the first half, and probably early in early in the second half as well. They looked like they were building up nicely into the game. They were keeping Burnley in their antics at arm's length. They weren't letting them rile them. They weren't getting upset. They weren't lashing out. Even Jose Holobas was relatively calm in the in the face of uh, wind-up merchants, basically. It just didn't come. And, and I just felt, again, defensively, we looked sound. I thought Craig Dawson had a good game before he was, he was forced off. Uh, so, again, that's a bit of bad luck. So, we looked relatively comfortable at the back. Decision-making in the final third, once again... Beggared belief. Really, really, really poor. We do all the hard work. We've got it sorted at the back. Capu and Decore doing their thing in midfield. We've got Firmino bombing on. We've got uh, Holobas getting forward. We're doing the hard bit. We're getting into the areas where we need to just, whether it's one ball, hit it or whatever. But the decision-making in the final third is abominable. And I think it comes down a lot to, to confidence. We've got Gerard Delafay trying that same little scoop, like stab type thing he tries to do with the inside of his right boot. It never comes off and it's incredibly frustrating. We, we, a lot of what, what supporters say at football is, is often quite reductive. Get it forward, move it forward, ping it, hit him, hit him. But you do have to shoot. And I think far too often in that first half, Watford missed opportunities to just have a crack on, on goal. The first real meaningful shot came at 3-0 down when Delefeu hit the crossbar and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the gig was up. 
take your shots early. I think it definitely comes down to confidence. But I think we've been saying this for quite a long time now, not just in this poor run of form, not just this season, for a decent portion of last season as well. They've got to fix that. It's a huge, huge issue. And I think it does come down to confidence. And, and if they don't fix it soon... We, we don't need, you know, I don't need to finish that sentence. We know what we know what's going to happen. But Jason, I, I, that's a weird answer for Mike. Not only because I asked him what was good about the first half, he did it a little bit, but he went back and forward from his negative place that he likes to play. But that first half, you know, apart from that last third, you know, it just felt like the, the much better Watford. You know, could you put it just down to the fact that you know, it's the first time we've seen at home, we've seen Kapu back in that midfield. What was it for you? Potentially, I thought we looked we looked solid at the back. And I think we we've, we've taken some positive step forwards positive steps forward in in recent weeks and I think we'd carried that on into the start of this game we dealt with what Burnley were trying to do as Mike said that we we didn't get drawn into the histrionics too much there was a couple of things I think Holobas had his little uh, ruck with Bardsley that was always going to happen at some point (laughs) today with them two facing up against each other I thought Hughes was getting sucked into things a bit too much. He, he kept giving away silly free kicks. Um, and again, that sort of comes down to that bad decision-making in the final third. But at, at the back, we were we were solid. And, and Dawson had a great game whilst he was on the pitch. The other guys were looking comfortable. And it was, and I, I did come into this game thinking, it's going to be a good day for Dawson. It's the sort of game he would relish. It's going to be up against Chris Wood, big fella, you know, so a chance for him to show how good he is in the air, how strong he is, win that battle, and then yeah, the rest will come, you know, it, it, and they just look no threat at all, Burnley. We just we just sucked it all up, hit them on the counter-attack. Mike said about Holobus bombing forward, he seemed to have acres of space. Whenever, whenever we broke, he had acres of space out on the left-hand side, and it did look like we can make something happen but it, as Mike says that final third just let us down it did let us down um, and uh, I think the turning point as we've sort of said you know when Dawson went off he went off just as the five extra minutes for uh, added on time in the first half uh, came on um, and that for me was the moment where things started to go wrong uh, Bernie definitely came out in the second half really early on they came out much brighter than they played in the first half um, but it was the it was the substitution of Adam Messina for me it shows me two things one if we're going to play that three at the back and you need three centre backs we don't have five and I don't mean that that's a silly thing to say but I mean when you've got Prudel injured Dawson then goes off you know Mariapa should be the backup fifth you'd want to in an ideal situation but it was Adam Messina who came on one thought I heard was that maybe rather you know with the three at the back and needing a centre back Maybe Nate Chalabar should have should have come on. Yeah, it, 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 you know, that, that was the bit where we where did it start to go wrong. It was when what was a, a fragile options at the back sort of fell apart. Yeah, perhaps I don't think I don't actually think it, we we could pinpoint it to that. I think it's, it was obviously a contributing factor, and I think it is the ongoing tale of our season as well. It's just when you know we said Dawson's having one of his best games in his Watfordshire. Jason was was right. It, it, it did turn out to be a game that he'd relish, and he performed incredibly well. Um, he basically got beaten up. He just got, ta- he got he got taken out of the game. And that's the story of our season. We're, well, just when you feel like things are, are going forward, it gets the rug gets taken out from under you. Whether it's bad refereeing decisions, whether it's VAR, whether it's injuries, whether it's suspensions, all going against us. And the Chalabar theory is a very very interesting one mm. because he did play, um, of course, at centre back uh, in the in the younger teams at at, at Chelsea. So it, it is a position that he is, is, has played in. Whether 
you know, we've talked about confidence throughout the squad. I think Nate Chalabar has got a big confidence issue as well as he tries to get his career back on track, which is what he's trying to do. Certainly his Watford career and then with his, uh, with his longer term sort of hopes as well. Whether bringing him into, cent- into centre-back somewhere where he hasn't played for what, five, six, seven years now, uh, maybe not that long, but a, a substantial period of time, in a team that is a little bit rocky and going to come up against some serious bombardment, it would have been a brave decision from from Kike Sanchez Flores. But you know there are the question marks over over Messina as to as to whether he's you know operating at the level level we need. Um, so yeah, it just for me it was just like my, my shoulders slumped a little bit when when Dawson went off us because it's just here we go again. Yeah, I mean I'm not saying I'm not pushing for that. That was a substitution to make. By, not by a long way but it was just thought process I heard someone say and I thought that's interesting yeah, yeah. and it, it just highlighted to me the, the lack of uh, centre-backs that we sort of have available the, the other thing that, that we could have done if Chalibur was on the pitch is it might have made it easier to switch it up if we were as ended up being chasing the game and I did wonder at that point because during the week he talks about thinking about 4-4-2 yeah, at the yeah. back of his mind and that's what, it, what he wants to play and that we've got the players here that are good enough Perhaps that, if if it had been braver, could have been an opportunity to go to four four two and and see what see what would have happened then. So perhaps that that tells us a little bit more about Kike's mindset at the moment in that he's still not feeling confident enough in the team that they can defend well enough with only four at the back. With this this confidence thing has to has to change. It is a massive issue, and whether that. Yeah, and it would have been an absolutely huge shout to bring Chalabar in yeah. at centre back, uh, but to switch up the formation, we need some leadership somewhere. Someone needs to take this lot by the scruff of the neck and, well, and turn it around. Well, that was the hope, I suppose. Uh, the other two substitutions who came on, one was the returning knight, the other one is the prince in waiting. Let's go with Troy, the leadership, Mike. Yeah, he came on at one nil straight away. Yeah. Straight away, there was a lift in that in exactly what you'd expect from Troy, but we didn't see full-on Troy because well he's been out injured for quite a while and not played a lot of football he didn't touch the ball <laughs> he didn't touch the ball really and it's it, it you know it gave the crowd a little bit of a lift um, I think the thing that with Troy is a wider issue and I think he we will get leadership with him there won't you know what we what we saw again today which was incredibly disappointing perhaps unsurprising bearing in mind the way the season's gone slump shoulders chins on chest as soon as it's won and you think there's no is there any way back from this ironically really today I I thought there was I thought we got in with a real chance of turning this round and even at 1-0 I thought we might win it I wasn't wasn't worried at (laughs) 2-0 well because we know it's game over then (laughs) Um, but but, so I think that you get a wider thing from Troy where the players don't shouldn't be allowed to get away with it but they did again today they did look despondent when the the goal went in and and when and when that when that turns as well you're not playing the opposition you're playing yourselves and everything that you know we've talked about how difficult it is anyway for them at the moment when you're 1-0 down you think and they're all thinking here we go again they're 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 making you know they've everything becomes hard um, harder and they're playing this mental issue and Troy Troy Deeney coming on isn't he's not a good enough footballer for 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 that to happen what he what I think we will get from from Troy Deeney it's just that that incremental lift and people like Delafay who likes to sort of jab his finger and sort of look look a bit sulky when things aren't going away he'll be told I think by Troy Dean and I think what we did see he was talking to the referee so he's making sure yeah. keep an eye on this keep an eye on that which is which is good which is helpful I think a bit of sort of game management and, and fighting our corner a little bit which you need again in a, in a game like that 
he needs backup from somewhere. There needs to be other leaders. Kapu needs to be one. He was captain today. Great player, a lovely sort of arcing, raking ball, wasn't there, in the, in the second half the, from, from one side of the pitch to the other. He needs to step up a little bit. He needs to be sort of parading around the pitch, giving everyone a bit of a G up. But I think it has to... Can I just come in? I've said before about Kapu being captain. I don't agree with it. And I think he's had enough chances at being captain. And you're saying he still needs to be more of a captain now yeah. when he's had multiple chances to show that he is one. I don't think he is. Sorry. Yeah. But I, I just, you do, you do, you know, the, the, the head coach is the head coach. He is the man moulding the this group of players. He's the man readying them to go to go out to, to battle, to do battle on a match day. Is he sending them out? You know, it's not as simple as, you know, banging the, the dressing room wall and, and, you know, let's do it motivational. You know, it's not Glenn Templin or whatever his name is. <laughs> it, um, it, 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 there's more to it than that. But we're obviously not getting it getting it right some, some, somewhere along the line because the talent in this squad is is there for all to see. We, I think we're still struggling in as much as we haven't got our first choice 11 again. Um, so, so that is difficult, but it just just comes down to that we need this this leadership. They, they need to they need to be stronger. They need to be better, and they need to shake themselves out of this this sort of crippling lack of lack of lack of confidence. Yeah. It needs to come from somewhere, and it then needs to develop within the players, uh, all the players in the squad. But Jason, the other one who did come on, made the wrong sort of place. You want to bring a thirty million pound young player who's uh, come back from injury and not played at all really for us uh, this season. But but Zar. I wasn't quite sure where he's playing, what, what the idea with him coming on was. Well, it looked like we saw when he came on, it looked like we'd sort of gone to a, a sort of a 3 4 3 because you had Dini in the middle, Delafeo hanging out on the left, and Saar on the right hand side. Um, and he had a couple of sort of nice looking runs, sort of picked up the ball, but at, yeah, at that stage. So it's still one in when he came on, so you want to see if he can actually make something happen. And there were a couple of runs, but just there, there wasn't enough because by the time he'd come on, it's a confidence thing again. Isn't it? The team, the team themselves looked like they were already beaten, and I think that was that was the problem. The the urgency and the desire didn't quite seem to be there to to attack and to be able to release him. Burnley being a goal up, were already defending in numbers, and to, for him to find the space was a little bit more difficult. And it. it great to see him on the pitch but he just didn't get the chance to show what he can do that much I think I've just seen it's, it's quite remarkable it's very very slippy underfoot yeah. and I've just seen Ashley Barnes <laughs> walk completely unaffected straight line didn't look like he was going to fall over uphill as well <laughs> incredible he can do it you can do it good lad Ash you're learning mate you're learning speaking of him it brings us back onto VAR I think for the first time, I've seen VAR used correctly today. Well, not for Watford, but it actually was well, used for exactly what it was designed to do, used for. But, see, this is a problem. I didn't think the Delafeo one against Chelsea was, was a penalty. I don't think the contact was um, sufficient for it to be a foul uh, and for a penalty to be given. And if we're going to take those, we, get, we have to swallow ones like today, which, again, is it complete nonsense? Oh, 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 for me, the fact that Holobas is rolling around on the floor clutching his ankle, just, just, that just says, wait, he was so late. I think that's why Tierney must have missed it. Because it, it, was, it was, for me, I'm, I'm afraid it was a clear penalty. Obviously, Tierney's let the game go on, but but I just 
if there's no contact, why is Holobas rolling around holding his well, ankle? Really, but he's, 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 he's nowhere near the ball. He's nowhere. Because you, Jace, and Richard, who I sit next to, both went, that's a penalty, that's a foul. And as it went up, Jace had a great little line. He goes, you watch us go and score a goal and they'll bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't score a goal. What, they brought it back? So maybe. Maybe I've been a bit, maybe I'm a bit sort of, um, I've, been, uh, I've been a bit unfair to them. But it, for me, it looked like he was on the way down already. He'd made his mind up what he was going to do. He'd seen seen Jose Holobas coming. And probably, you know, knowing the sort of player that Holobas is, he probably, maybe he won the penalty, maybe he deserved it. But I think the fact that he's going down before the, before the tackle comes in, it's like, it's just so, so frustrating. But I don't know, we'll watch our match today tonight and they'll say, uh, say, it, was a, say it was a penalty. But yeah, you know, it, I think it, it's fine if it if that was a penalty and he, and he completely missed it then then VAR works in that that instance doesn't it and that that just completely took the wind out of yeah, out of Watford sales it's like well nothing's gonna nothing's gonna go for us today at all also, also the fact that Foster gets a hand yeah. on the penalty off the inside oh. of the post and trickles across the line I mean you know you know it's not your day when it happens yeah. and if we if he did, had said it that would have been the thing that would have lifted yeah, everything yeah, yeah. absolutely lifted everything yeah, yeah. but it didn't happen uh, and uh, we'll put this game to history. A podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Talking of history, uh, this week at Watford Museum, uh, I was lucky enough to go down for a bit of a celebration for the Watford Treasury. A, I don't know what I want to call it. It's a magazine. I want to call it a periodical. I think yeah. it's. I think it's got a classy level to it that needs to be a periodical rather than a magazine that that documents Watford's history uh, and, and tells stories uh, and some wonderful visuals about it. And they had a celebration down there. And uh, while down there, I happened to catch up with the one and only birthday boy from this week, Sir Nigel Gibbs. So Nigel, rumour has it that you have, we're here at the Watford Museum and you have quite a collection of your own, is this true? Yes, if you ask Heidi I have quite a lot, so uh, <laughs> a lot of it, really good memories that I've kept, uh, contracts, letters, team sheets, shirts, I've got everything and uh, you know it's great to, to see them, you know, bring them out and have a look and you know share the memories with everyone else but coming down here tonight and uh, listening to people, obviously the, the Treasury, how well that's done and uh, you know, enjoyed the article that I did with it, and then um, to see some of the stuff on show tonight is is great. Do you, is it mainly this from your time at the club, or you, have, you, have you sort of expanded as you've got on? No, it's it was really my time. You know, I haven't collected anything since I've left. I was there a long time, from the age of 11 uh, all the way through until I uh, left in 2005. So it was quite a long period. Before that as well, I collected programs before. I've got programs going back to you know, the late 60s. They're, they're all down in the man shed, as they call it, and. Uh, you know, I need to sort them out some stage. Yeah. You've got a favourites or a couple of favourites that you know. If you, like that thing, if there was a fire and you had to grab two, yeah. what, do you know which one you'd definitely grab? I don't know. I, I suppose my testimonial shirt because that's 20 years and that I can obviously reminisce about all the years I was there. Uh, my first scarf, uh, I've still got that, the old silk Watford Rookery one. And I don't know. There's so, um, I've got so many things. I don't know. I think my medals. I think my medals when we won promotion twice and. Uh, um, I was captain as well. I've got a captain's armband. So little things like that yeah. would be really, really good for me. Do you think is history important to, for your point of view, as a, as players? And you played with many players who came from all over the country, yeah. all over the world. Do you think knowing about the history club is important? For me, it is definitely. I, I love history. Um, when I was at school, I loved to know what every ground was called. I loved to know what their best players were. I think if you're a football fan, you're a football fan, uh, and obviously when you support a team, you know you want to know everything about that. And I think it's important that uh, the museum here, you know, highlights so many different things that the club have been through and the, the history of the club and and these 
you know, wonderful brochures or the treasury is, is fantastic for people like myself who are fans. Obviously, I was a player as well. I think it's so important to, to let the, the current fans know what the history of the club is, is all about. But is this one, Pre, one, one Pedro where we're getting? He's 18 from Brazil. Do you think there's are there important things in Watford's history that you think you know we're aware of that you think the most important things they they should know? I think the biggest thing from Watford is always a community club. It's a club for the fans. Um, it's a small town. Um, obviously, we're close to London, but it's Hertfordshire. I hate it when they say the London club, Watford. No, we're Hertfordshire, you know. And uh, there have been talk uh, today about the the, the, the moose. It's, no, no, it's, it's a heart, you know. And it's a Hertfordshire stag, and it's a Hertfordshire, it's, you know. So, so little things like that are really important. I think the biggest thing about Watford is the community. You know, it's, it's part of the town, and it always will be. Is that first Graham Taylor era the sort of most important thing, do you think? 100% because traditionally Watford has been a lower division club and without uh, obviously the, the boss's uh, influence or his skills and his, 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 you know, his, his brilliance to get us up the leagues to, to where we are now is, is all down to him. So history tells you that it was a lower division club and where we've come from has been amazing and now we're in the Premier League and established hopefully picking up some better <laughs> results and to make sure we stay in there but uh, you know, I think for someone coming over you know, they should look at the history and find out well actually well, this club has done amazing to get where it is for the size of the town and the support and uh, long may it continue let's stay in the Premier League and I think I know the answer to this but in the big vote for the new badge or the old badge which way did you vote? Old badge all day long. Old badge. If we did change the badge, would you have been heartbroken or would have been part of, no, like you say, just part of history? Part of history, um, but I think it had to be the right one. And I, I, it's probably a time as well. I didn't think it was the right time to do it personally, but I, I thought there's some really good uh, new badges. Some of the stuff these days is, is absolutely brilliant, but uh, I think at the moment the, the old badge is, is, still, is still right for the football club. Mike, he was a fan of Moosey, unsurprisingly. Uh, but we got the, the news this week that, yes... The badge uh, isn't changing. Yes, and I love that the little bit in your chat with with Nigel where he said he he sort of says, "Oh, people call it moose. It's not a heart. Of, it's not a moose. It's a heart." And then you went on to say, "If the new badge had lost, would you have been heartbroken? <laughs> heartbroken." The the results are in, and you know I I voted to keep keep the existing badge, uh, and I've actually been quite surprised by the. There's been some quite vitriolic responses to to this exercise, and. On one hand, you can argue that it's not great timing. Obviously, there's, there's, there's things going on on the pitch. I actually think it's sensible to, to look at potentially updating anything, really. We, we move forward, you know. It's always interesting talking to Colin, who calls the current badge the new badge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we, we are a little bit perhaps... Not spoiled is, a, is, is the right word, because that's the one that we've grown up with. It's the one that's, that's most precious to us, where there's a whole host of other supporters who, who have seen a, a plethora of other badges. So I was quite surprised with the, not aggressive, that's the wrong word, but a vitriolic sort of response to it, sort of people calling it a waste of time and, and some people decrying people, the well, the 60% of people who voted to keep keep the current badge. I actually think whichever way it had gone, I'd have been fine with. The the, the new option grew on me as, as time went on. And if, if Watford fans voted to go with the new, one that that would have been fine with me I also think that the way the club did it they made it inclusive to anyone with a computer and the, the requisite skills was in with the chance of designing it it was then whittled down by Watford supporters and then the final final vote went to, to Watford supporters so we heard Jay Demerit on the on the pitch today talking about you know the community and all that sort of thing well Watford again a, a walk in the walk with the, with this approach and I know some designers had 
issues with the with the pitch process and the and the briefing I'm, and I'm not um, qualified to talk on that at all so if there was some some glitches with the with the with the brief that's that's one thing but I thought the process itself was was worthwhile uh, and it's not just a waste of time because the existing one won that's the, the majority that's what the majority wanted so so that's what happened I'm sure they'll look at it again in the future um, but yeah like Nigel I'm, I'm pleased we're sticking with the heart uh, also whilst there I had a catch up with a friend of the podcast uh, right from Hornet Heaven and one of the editors uh, on Watford Treasury uh, Ollie Wickin to find out well as I spoke to Nigel about the importance of history to players and about where why history is important to us as fans and what's in the latest edition of the Watford Treasury so Ollie, we're at uh, Watford Museum uh, on, a, on a, a night to celebrate the Watford Treasury. Uh, is it is it fifth fifth edition? Yeah, we've done five volumes now. Uh, and how many? Your brother did a speech. How many pages of great Watford history is it now? Over well, it's over five hundred. Um, so the latest issues have got about one hundred and twelve. I've got one in my hand here. I'm going to tell you. I think it's one hundred and twelve pages of a uh, beautiful Watford history. The first issue we did probably had eighty. Um, so it's uh, it's absolutely packed, and um, just flicking through it, you know, I, I know I'm involved with this thing myself, but um, the way that Andy Barker designs it and puts it together, and the team that Colin Payne has got together to write these articles, um, it is a thing of beauty. Yeah, it's, it's sort of lovely to sort of see a the visuals and that sort of visual history that it, it, it's sort of designed around, but everything sort of goes around with it and learning about the history of the of the club on many areas that I have no clue on. Um, and maybe some even I was a bit too young to remember. But I was chatting to Nigel earlier, and I sort of asked him, how important is a fan, I asked him about players, but as a fan, do you think it is to know about the club history? Well, uh, you'll probably be able to tell that I think it's very important. As someone who writes Hornet Heaven stories that involve history going back to 1881, I think the it just helps if... You're not going into each game thinking today is the only day that matters. So have that perspective of what it means to be a Watford fan. I mean, I've been a Watford fan for 51 years, but what it means to have been a Watford fan through the highs and the lows, um, not living each game thinking that this this is what matters and we need three points or we need to get above uh, Southampton if we get the win today. That's such a narrow way of thinking about what football's about and it's so rich. Um, to have met people here tonight, like Walter Lees, who played for Watford in the 1960s, 1970s. I met Peter Walker, uh, who played for Watford in the 1950s. And they've got their stories. Um, you know, they, they were swapping stories about Pat Malloy, the trainer who was at Watford from 1951 into the 1980s, and even under GT. And it's just absolutely lovely to hear how much it means to people. Um, and their memories mean a lot to me as well because I was part of uh, a group of Watford fans in the 1960s so it's all part of my history we all take supporting a club very very personally so even though there are items in this uh, edition of the Watford Treasury that include what am I looking at here uh, motorcycle football <laughs> on Vicarage Road pitch in 1927 it's a brilliant story and yeah. I don't suppose there's anybody around today who remembers that but Tom Broderick has, has researched it and got, we've got some great images on that page but there's more recent stuff there's a uh, terrific article by uh, the wonderful Ian Grant on the Vialli season 
And most of us sort of just think that was an awful season that we don't really want to think about. But you read Ian's piece and you'll get a lot more out of it. It's not just about, oh, I don't even want to think about that. It was part of our history when we were Watford fans in the early part of this century. And it's been part of our lives, you know, looking at pictures and seeing him uh, walking out in his smart suit with that Ray Wilkins character that we decided we didn't like. And, <laughs> and all of these feelings come back. And that's why the Watford Treasury, I think, is, it's, it's touching such a chord, striking such a chord with people. But oh, I've just flicked onto the Watford Southampton article. So we've got pictures from that amazing League Cup tie that we won 7-5 on aggregate. And, you know, I was there on the terrace. I was at both ties. And it means things to me personally. But when I see how much it means to other people. I've been uh, putting things on Facebook groups recently saying, you know, what's your most memorable game? And when people have games like Southampton and they really, it was almost the best moment of their lives, then you can't forget that stuff. You want to go back and you want to dip into it and you want to see things, see things that you've never seen before. But I do think, I, I do want to see those things and I want to know about things, mainly maybe it's because of the influence of, of you know, read, uh, listening and, and, and editing Hornet Heaven. But I always think it's my age. Like the older I've got, I want to know about the yes. deep history of it, not just the history of it. But if you were, let's say, my son Eli, he's five going on six, mm. How much the history do you think he needs to learn about to sort of secure him, let's say, as a Watford fan? Is it purely the story of Graham? Do you think that's one story that's just defining enough for him to go, I know what it means to be a Watford fan, which is sort of what you've talked about. Not necessarily on a personal level and not the huge history of it. You, know, you could look at that 7-1, you could, you could in, a, in, a, in a callous way, say, well, you know, that's just a, a great stat for a pub quiz. <laughs> you know, but, but it means to people, only to the people who went and were there. Do you think knowing about Graham, what was achieved in that first 10 years, is like, essential? In a word, for Eli, no. <laughs> um, so I started supporting in 1968-69, and even now I've taken more of an interest in the history of Watford Anything before 1968-69 is kind of BC. It doesn't involve me. It doesn't involve my memories. So it's not quite... It's, it's not the life that I have lived. So it's academically interesting. Right. And nothing much had happened to Watford before I started supporting, although the people talked about 1959-1960 as a brilliant year. It was our first ever promotion. So I was aware of that, but I didn't have access to, to really finding out about it until think, books like the official centenary came out in 1991 the old stuff you get interested in it when you when you get a bit older interested in a wider perspective on it but why it is valuable to someone like Eli is that he will understand what Watford means to other people Mm. so we are all uh, a community of Watford fans and we might treasure our own memories we might have uh, we might have little, you know, personal boasts, like I've been supporting Watford for 50, 51 years, which I've already mentioned. It sounds like a boast. <laughs> you do support the club personally and you attach it to your own life and your own history. But meeting other people here tonight that, who are older than me, you get an appreciation of the way that other people live their lives around Watford um, and the way that history has been lived by them. So 
it's a way of understanding other people and it's a way of appreciating other people to get involved in this history and go, okay, your experience was that, um, which goes straight back to the golden memories uh, thing that the club are doing at the moment, is, is seeing just how much supporting Watford means to all of us um, and that understanding of the all of us I think is really important and really valuable um, to each of us as individuals. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on you Orns! Because Mike, I saw when uh, you tweeted to Nigel this week that uh, even though Ollie has said there that my son Eli shouldn't worry about the past and should make his own uh, story as a Watford fan. Uh, but Arlo's got uh, uh, something old next to his bed. Yeah, he's going to bed at the moment. I mean, he's supposed to read every night for school. Uh, his current reading uh, material in the evenings is old Watford handbooks. <laughs> so he's currently working his way through the, I think it's the 86-87 handbook, which, and then just like, yeah, he's reading it from cover to cover. He's pouring over every page, much the much the way I did when I when I was a kid. But the difference, of course, being when we got it, it had used to have, all the matches have a quote from the manager, loads of detail that you weren't able to find anywhere else. So it's just a rich source of it everywhere you look these days. So this was a real precious little treasure trove of, of information. And fascinating that Arlo is has taken the time and is interested enough to to read it. And sort of he's asking questions about who these guys were and looking at the. I think they were starting work on rebuilding the uh, Vicarage Road yeah. end so there's pictures of that really really fascinating but I think Ollie's take on history and why it's important is is timely especially in, in light of today's result because he, he mentions rightly and it was quite a moment of clarity for me listening to him a, a reminder as why we do keep coming back even when things are going bad it isn't just about the match it isn't about this 90 minutes in our Watford supporting history it's the whole thing it's the whole sort of piece, and then because in five years we'll look back not on this game against Burnley, we'll look back against you know the, this two or three year stint or this year, this stint in the Premier League, and I think that's really important to remember that it's a a living, breathing, evolving, ongoing experience being a being a Watford supporter, and you know the history gets bigger and, and richer uh, with with each with each passing day. So uh, yeah, I don't know which uh, Arlo's not going to be reading this uh, this year's handbook <laughs> uh, in a couple of years, I don't think. But uh, well, we need to uh, go into the Hornet shop before we start recording, and there's a Watford annual, which I'm sure will be on his Christmas list. <laughs> gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, it's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Sweaty. Sweaty, what have you been doing? Playing basketball. More fun than football. How are you feeling after Watford's result today? Bit cross, but I'll win next time. That's the spirit. Good lad. Now Arlo's choice of bedtime reading has been an interesting one. It's been the 1986-87 Watford handbook. What have your teachers said about you uh, choosing that as your reading? Well, I haven't wrote it in my reading record yet. Make sure you do that before you go back to school on Monday. But my question is for you, Arlo. In the handbook is, uh, is details of all the, the players, the playing squad from that particular season. Yeah. Watford looked like they could do with some extra players. Which player from that from the handbook? Luther Blissett. Oh, you didn't even need me to finish. You want Luther Blissett? Yeah. Why do you want Luther? Because he's a good attacker. And what, we need goals? <laughs> yes. So if you're listening, Luther, Arlo would like you to join the squad. Arlo, thank you very much for joining us. Back to your basketball. Bye, see you next time.
Lots of you might have seen him at half-time uh, on the pitch. JJ from the USA uh, was on the pitch. He's back in town uh, helping to promote a animated series uh, about inclusion in football. And Hollywood, Kieran, went to the premiere here at Vicarage Road on Friday night and had a chat to Jay uh, and the director. Over to you, Hollywood. Hi, guys. I was at Vicarage Road on Friday for something a little bit different alongside an invited audience and Jay Demerit, who was there to support the first European screening of La Golda, which is an animated series which is aimed at young people and children to kind of raise awareness of issues surrounding things like LGBTQ. Uh, It was the first screening in this country, Watford FC, very much on board and showing their support by hosting the event. So I managed to go along, have a chat with the creator of the series, George Valencia, and of course, Jay Demerit himself. Jay Demerit back at Vicarage Road. We've just uh, watched the video, La Golda. I've just spoken to the creator. Uh, tell us why it is that you've got behind this. Well, I think, you know, as, as, as players and as former players, uh, you know, it's our important work to do ambassador stuff, you know, and, and, and if someone who's led locker rooms, you know, played at the highest level, but also comes from a place of where you had to do it the hard way, where you haven't been accepted, or, you know, people think that maybe you can't do something, you know, it's part of my initiatives through my story to uh, to be a part of this, uh, you know, to, to, to believe that kids should be who they are and, and drive from who they are, and just like I did to create my own story. And, you know, there's a lot of barriers that kids face now. And, and uh, you know, again, being gay is one of them. I think it's important for ex-players and people of uh, with a voice to, to, to share that voice and you know met, meeting George and Judy many years ago through a lot of different charitable things that we've done through our youth programs um, you know they introduced this idea to me a couple years ago um, just to first watch it and then to experience it to see it to be a part of it is very empowering and because it's a true message and it's a real message that we really need to start creating for our kids because it's 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 them that that, that need this education and, and and even as parents and even as as now adults we need this education too and and I think as a collective you know, the more tools we can have to educate and to create those platforms is truly what we're trying to do. There was obviously a, a launch in Los Angeles. This is the first time that it's been done in England at Watford Football Club. What does it say about this club? You obviously know it so well, but to have an event like this at the club you played with for so long, uh, what does it say about what about us as a, as a team? It, and a club? it, it says everything, uh, you, you know, and again, and it, this is why, you know, Watford has always had such a close, you know, place to my heart because... You know, coming as a kid from Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, an NFL franchise that bases itself on community and its people, it was a natural fit for me to be a part of these walls and and to be a part of a community club that you can feel it. You don't see it, you feel it. When we started to think about ways that we could approach this idea, who can we talk to, who can we, uh, you know, what kind of programs can we start to introduce to people that might listen? You know, Watford was first on my list. We could go to U.S. soccer. We could go to, you know, to other teams. But why would we? Because we understand that this story, Watford's story, again, the, the most famous gay man on the planet, whose kids and husband happened to come to the L.A. premiere. Um, you know, again, Elton's seen this film. Uh, he, he is so backing and, and, and so behind it. Um, you know, and these are the people that can create change. And, and we don't do it because of Elton. We do it because we know that the foundation that he helped build here is the platform that we need to grow from. And, and, and uh, you know, for ha- to have the club again, we, George and I were here a couple months ago pitching the idea and Richard Walker stopped us midway through the pitch and said, guys, you don't need to say anything else. We're in. And, and for me, that was that was very powerful because normally you got to fight for this type of stuff. You got to, you, you know, we understand it's going to be difficult. Yeah, we'll continue to, right? 
to get the kid the, 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 the kid environment. So, you know, it, it, it's just about making sure that we're all in this together, you know, and, and, and when you take things on that people don't understand or you take things on that people might push up against, we need everybody. We, we need people that are going to stand up for, for the beliefs and, 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 and for, for people being who they are. And, uh, and that includes in sports and that includes uh, for all, all walks of life. And that's what Lagolda is. And every episode she teaches and through her team of, 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 of multinational people, uh, all sorts of life lessons from racism to gender equity to being homosexual. So all of those types of ideas are real. And, 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 and these, are, these are exactly the types of education programs we need to start telling our kids that they should be accepted because they should be. You set up on uh, during the Q&A that obviously we don't have uh, an openly gay player in, in the top divisions of, of any of the leagues in Europe um, or just certainly the top five leagues in Europe. How important is it to have conversations like this that maybe leads to something like that happening in the future? Well, I think you just said it. I, I think it starts with the conversation. Players are only going to come out if they feel it's safe. We don't create a safe environment for players to come out. We don't. History has proven that, but we also aren't creating tools for them to feel comfortable, for them to feel safe. Um, again, imagine now if, if a young player in this area now decides to play football because they're going to watch this on the news, or they're going to read your story, and they're going to go, oh, wow, I didn't know that Watford accepted that. I want to be a Watford player. And now imagine if that kid becomes one of the best Wofford players ever. Because that can happen. Of course it can. And that's what we believe in, and that's why we tell the stories, and that's why we share these types of environments, because we believe that we can, and we believe that they can. And that's the, that's the whole idea. Final question. This is a Watford podcast. Why should Watford fans support and get behind this project and, and this campaign? Because Watford represents things that are much bigger than a, a, a ball. Uh, you know, and a, and, a, and, a, and a score on a Saturday. Uh, you know, Watford represents community at its core. Watford represents uh, the multitude of characters and people that walk through these terraces every day, uh, every game. Uh, and, and, and it's certainly a club that has led the charge through a lot of different ways over the years. A club that so-and-so called fights above it weight, but in reality, by action, is fighting way, way more than the other clubs are and, and that's that's leadership and, and and for me to be a part of that for me to help you know with that leadership program is my goal my empowerment you know this isn't something that's going to stay within vicarage road this is something we're gonna we're gonna tell the world in, in, in a lot of different ways and now we can tell it with more weight because we have a premier league team behind us and a, and a premier league team that actually cares because they do and they and, and they do these things uh, because they feel like they should and, and and that's community and that's sport and uh you know if we can if we can get behind that together then we can start to make some waves in the right direction george valencia we've just watched La Golda, you are the creator. Incredible film, looking to educate young people about LGBTQ um, issues, um, empowerment, inclusion. Talk about putting this together. Why did you put it together? Why do you care? Um, because I'm a parent. I'm a parent to uh, a girl. She's a Latina. Um, and I think that through my wife, who's also an activist, Judy Reyes, we, I've understood a lot more about activism and social causes that mean something, especially to women. And so I, I think that it's my duty as a man who is, although football passionate, to um, break down the machismo in, in all of things that we feel that we're too macho in. And sport being one of them, football, and as well as education. And, and it has to be an inclusive thing for everyone. 
you're holding this at Watford Football Club. Uh, how important has it been to have a Premier League club on board and how supportive have they been of this project? It's been incredibly important, obviously. Um, first of all, Watford, I think, you know, you take the other clubs aside, I think Watford has always been really progressive and, and new. I don't know if it's an Elton John thing or, um, or even people like Jay Demerit that are free-spirited and you understand why they captained this team at one point because if, when you get to know them, they're, they're true leaders, just like Elton is in music and in art. You know, Jay Demerit is in sport and, and even in everything that he does. So I think for them to do it was a no-brainer. They actually invited us once Jay proposed it and obviously tonight was a huge success for the fact that Watford is again that club. They're gonna do it first. They're gonna be open. They're gonna knock down all barriers and be and, and be inclusive and invite everyone to participate to be a fan. And I think you know even with their their racism policy now is like to identify who is racist, pass it on to the to the authorities, and and ban them from the club. I think is amazing. It's a, it's a call to action. It's something that's really strong. It's a message and it's it's positive all the way around in football and especially in England. Because you did the showing in Los Angeles. This is the first one that you've done in Watford. How do you plan to roll this out? How do you want to reach those young people so that they see this and get that really important message? I think it's got to be a... Um, it's got to be a team effort, obviously, in terms of... I know it sounds cliche, but you really have to sit and talk to the people, let them watch it, and say, what is this? Is it, are you going to have an impact in your community? People are like, no, we're not going to accept it. Then you don't do it with them. Because it has to be something that everybody wants to share. It's difficult. Nobody wants to talk about gay children. It's unbelievable. But nobody wants to talk about their kid might be gay. But again, they're like, well, that's something that you choose as an adult, which is a lie. Because kids know at six, seven, eight years old if they are or aren't. And I think that that's kind of like something that we have to just come across. And, and I think that the next partner that we're, we're meeting is going to be that person that goes, we like what you're doing. We like the messaging. We want to be on board. Let's go do it. Final one. How can people support this? I mean, like anything else, social media and kind of advocating for it and, and inviting it. If you, really, if you really like the messaging behind it, which is like the trailer's already out, we're not putting out the whole entire film until 2020. But if you like what you see and you want your club to get behind it, no matter how big or small, it could be a third division team that goes, hey, we want it, we need it in our community. There's a lot of stuff going on. We want, it. We want, we want our kids to be involved. Boom, we're there. And I think that's the thing. It's a grassroots movement. We need people like you, you know, they'll be our allies and be like, hey, this is something important. I know like Jess Fishlock has already, you know, uh, signed on in her support. So I think we're at the beginning of something, as Jay said, this is just the beginning. I think 2020 is going to become a, a very big thing with allies. Uh, media is going to become a very important component to all of this. And then whoever wants to get involved, get involved because it, it, it takes a village. It literally does. That's not just a statement. It really does take a village for this movement, to, this mini movement to become a full fledged movement. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Uh, we're back with another podcast. When Watford have played away at Southampton, maybe a uh, Saturday by the seaside will be the thing to, to really get things going on our season. Um, thank you very much to Ollie, to Sir Nigel, of course, uh, and thank you much to uh, Jay and Kieran for their bits. Thank you, Michael. Uh, you're more than welcome. You know now I've taken the mick out of Ashley Barnes. When yeah. I walk back to the car, I'm definitely going to trip over. <laughs> and thank you, Jason. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Uh, and telling your friends to listen to From the Real Crane, if you have done. Or if you haven't, why not? 
if you think it's good anyway. Uh, you can follow us, just follow us on social media at Rotherford Podcast on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And I think the final, come on your horns. Jason, over to you. Come on your horns. Come on your horns.